Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where are you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends across the country waiting to figure out which of the top recruits in the nation are going to your school. It's early signing day across the country. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at The Times Picayune, The Advocate, and bet.nola.com. And this is Datitude, episode number 35 for a Wednesday, December the 15th, 2021. I spent the morning, reason why Datitude is getting up a little later than normal, spent the morning at Ponchatoula High School, and we are going to dedicate most of this show to early signing day and some things going on around the state and some interesting developments the last, oh, 12 to 16 hours here on the North Shore. Um, last night, Mandeville wide receiver Landon Ibietta, who was a Miami commit, flipped and is going to LSU. And um, congratulations to Brian Kelly for getting a top-notch kid. Um, really good football player. Outstanding, actually. Um, and I think he is going to make a huge impact at LSU. Uh, he switched over because, frankly, from what I hear behind the scenes, uh, he wasn't getting a lot of LSU love before Brian Kelly got there. And uh, that changed. His family's uh, LSU f- full of LSU fans, and when he got the chance to go to LSU, I think that's all he needed. He just wanted someone over there to, to, to kind of welcome in and, and give him some love, and they did that. So congratulations to him and congratulations to LSU. But, I, you know, I'm going to spend most of this show talking about Ponchatoula. And, um, you know, I've made it clear throughout the, you know, if you followed me at all or listened to my broadcast or I've talked about it here on the podcast that Ponchatoula Coach Hank Tierney is near and dear to my heart. I've known him since I was, before I was a teenager, really. And uh, he became head coach at Shaw my junior year there. Uh, and obviously changed the fate uh, of, of football there. Coach Zimmerman, who is just was an outstanding coach and is, an, is a legend as well, um, took the Eagles to the level where most schools would love to be in the playoffs every year, solid, 8-2, and 7-3, and three, um, very respected. Coach Hank just frankly took him to another level. Went to the state championship game um, three times under his tenure. Won it in 1987. Then he moved on to West Jefferson and coached there for a few years. And I think he was pretty much ready to to hang it up, or at least not hang it up. You don't you don't really hang up coaching, I guess, when you're in your fifties. Um, but he was ready to take it easy. Went to Ponchatoula, wanted to move up here, became an assistant coach for a little while, and then the job came open and he took it. 
And then he transformed Ponchatoula, uh, a school that, a football program that hadn't done a whole lot in a half a century or more and changed them. And uh, they played in their first state championship game this past Saturday night, which I was uh, privileged enough to broadcast for Varsity Sports Now. And, uh, you know, it didn't go their way. They had a rough second half and fell to the top seed, Zachary. But uh, it doesn't diminish anything that Coach Hank was able to do there. We're going to talk uh, with Coach Hank in just a little bit. I went over there and talked to him this morning. But I want to start off with Amorian Walker, who is uh, one of three really good wide receivers at that school. But he is going to get the opportunity to play on the major stage at the next level. He had been a Notre Dame commit. And just last night, he changed his mind as kids do. And um, before I get to Amorion's interview, I just want to say that, you know, he flipped, and I didn't say where he flipped to. He flipped to Michigan. Um, he had his hats up there. Uh, he was choosing between LSU, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Alabama. But I think really... When it came down to it, the only two real uh, candidates were Notre Dame and Michigan. And he was pretty solid in the Notre Dame camp for quite a bit. And I asked him straight up, had Brian Kelly not left Notre Dame, would he still have gone to Notre Dame? And the answer was a flat-out yes. He didn't expand on it. And we'll, again, we'll hear that interview in just a moment. I, I talked to him for about uh, six minutes, it looks like. This is actually going to be a fairly short, shorter podcast than usual. And we will touch on the Saints after I get through with uh, my interviews here. We'll talk Saints-Bucks a little bit. Um, but uh, I want to spend most of the show on early recruiting day. Because it's a big deal for a lot of kids. And, you know, I talked about it with, with, with Hank's wife, Joanne, about how the whole ceremony of everything is a lot different than when I started this 31 years ago. And when I was in high school. Um, there wasn't a lot of this. There were some ceremonies and things, but not, not like it is now. It's a, it's a major show now. But one thing that bothers me, okay, I posted, I didn't, you know, I didn't ex- expect this at all. But when I posted on Twitter that he flipped from Notre Dame to Michigan, um, I didn't hashtag Notre Dame. I did uh, tweet at Michigan football. But it, it goes to show how, Certain tweets just blow up, okay? So this obviously blew up in the Notre Dame recruiting community. And people forget that these are kids. I mean, these are 17 and 18-year-old kids who are making decisions, obviously, with the help of their parents to some extent. But in the end, it's their choice. And the, the comments... And I haven't had a mumbo-gumbo segment in a while. So just let me talk about social media for a minute. This is what people, when they type stuff in to their phones or their computers or their iPads, they don't realize that people are reading these things, I don't think. Or they just don't care. I mean, now a lot of these comments, these, these negative comments, because almost all of them are negative. You don't hear Michigan people screaming about Amorian Walker. And they probably will in a couple years because the kid's going to make a difference at the next level. 
besides the fact that this is a, a very smart kid who's about to graduate high school early. And there's just, <clears throat> excuse me, there is just, I, I just don't get it. I don't get some of the things that are being said. And I'm not going to read all of them because some of them just aren't worth reading. But it just goes to show what, what people, what is wrong with people? And I'm not going to mention any names when I announce some, when I go through some of these tweets. One person writes, another Michigan recruiting troll job. You don't know that. You don't know why, you know, again, if Brian Kelly doesn't leave Notre Dame, Amorian Walker is wearing a Notre Dame hat this morning. Another one. Wow, didn't see this coming. Third decommit since Kelly's departure, now the second wide receiver. Walker, number 518 recruit in 22 class, so not an elite prospect, but one the staff was certainly counting on. Well, you, you know to I me, mean? numbers don't matter. I don't care what number he was overall. The fact that Notre Dame wanted him and he flipped to Michigan, it's not like he flipped to Western Kentucky or Northern Illinois. He flipped to Michigan and had offers from Alabama and LSU. The number doesn't matter there. Here's another one. I mean, good for him, but not sure what the point of flipping at an official ceremony was. Screams, quote, look at me, and pretty disrespectful to Notre Dame coaches. Also, doesn't really have the, quote, shock factor, given he's a three-star wide receiver. Another person writing about a kid... He doesn't know it all and doesn't have a clue. I don't mind these kinds of things so much when we're talking about professional athletes or even maybe college athletes entering the draft who do silly things. But you're talking about a 17 and 18 or 18 year old kid. You don't know. Screams, look at me. Let me tell you something about Amorian Walker, and I've covered him for over three years at Ponchatoula. That kid is anything but look at me. As you'll hear in this interview coming up, this kid is one of the most low-key high school seniors, star athletes you're ever going to meet. I had to stick the micro. I had, in fact, I, I didn't use a microphone with Hank because I didn't like the way my microphone was. But I had to use a microphone with Amarion because you really can't hear him. He's a very low-key kid. He comes from a long line of great athletes at Ponchatoula High School. His dad played there, went on and played in Mississippi State. And his uncle Reggie um, went on to be big-time player in college and actually was just released by the Arizona Cardinals and is, trying to, is keeping in shape and trying to get on somewhere else. But you just, I mean, people writing about kids, they don't understand what what's into their decision. Again, how can you blame someone for leaving a school when the guy who recruited you is no longer there? Someone else writes, I have no problem with a kid choosing whichever school they like. After all, it is their decision. Yeah, it is. But to remain committed to Notre Dame and continue to reiterate to the Notre Dame coaches that you are in fact going to stay in the class and flip on signing day. Unreal. 
Well, Brian Kelly just left. And from what I hear behind the scenes, Notre Dame just assumed he was going to Notre Dame. They didn't follow up on him. They haven't talked to him for most of the week, from what I understand. You lose your coach, and you don't follow up on one of your top recruits? Sounds like you're bad to me. I mean, you know, here's one that's not as, as ugly. Michigan flips wide receiver Morian Walker from Notre Dame, quoting my tweet. Walker was the 20th overall recruit in my rankings in Notre Dame's class. That being said, Notre Dame signing one receiver in a class today that needed three or four. Wide receiver recruiting has been terrible. Changes are needed. Yeah, probably so. So he wasn't the only flip. And I don't know the ins and outs of Notre Dame recruiting. But can you really get upset with any kid who changes his mind when a coaching change is made? And I'm belaboring the point now. I get it. But that means they keep coming. They're, they're like, as I'm, as I'm talking to you, I've got four more. Um, let's see here. I mean, here, here's, an, here's one that makes zero sense. Just sign with Michigan. Don't disrespect the Notre Dame coaches. Hopefully someone teaches the kids some manners. He didn't say one bad thing about Notre Dame. Not a single thing. He didn't say a single bad thing about Notre Dame when the tape recorder was on. And he didn't say one bad thing about Notre Dame when the tape recorder was off. So I'm using Amorian Walker. It's not just so much about him. It's about all these kids. And these kids that change their minds. These things on recruiting day are spectacles because us in the media really have made them spectacles. Right? If we weren't there to video these things and put them on my podcast and talk about all the other things going on, they wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's part of the show of where we live today. Everything's a show today. Everything. Here's one positive one. Um, I'm guessing this is someone from around here. Amorian Walker, Megatron Jr., congratulations. Maybe he will be Megatron. He needs to put some weight on. And Walker, I'm not sure what his official height and weight uh, it lists as. But just standing there talking to him today, and I hadn't really paid as much. I don't, I don't get the sense of how tall or big kids are unless I'm really paying attention or they're that much bigger or smaller than me, and I'm 6'2". So he's about an inch or two taller than me. So we'll say 6'4". He's probably about 180. Needs to put some weight on. And I'm sure he will at the next level. Uh, Jarrett Roser who is one of the best when it comes to covering recruiting in the state of Louisiana. Um, Jarrett is a sports writer for Tiger Details, works for Prep Red Zone. Uh, Used to work for us here at at the Times-Picune for quite a while. He's an excellent writer, writes 
Big Louisiana flip Michigan had been after Ponchatoula stand out of Morian Walker for quite a while and flips him from Notre Dame. Well, that's kind of the point what people don't understand. Just because a guy's a commit, and it, and it happens, we saw it with Landon Ibietta. Michigan, I mean, Miami thought they had Landon Ibietta. Changes at Miami, change at LSU. Now LSU wants him. You don't see people getting all over Landon Ibietta. It's just interesting, and it's, you know, I, I, here's another one, and I'm not, I can't use all the words because there's some profanity in here, so I'm not going to use that. I have no respect for kids that do this blank to any school. At least have the decency to let the school know, spelled N-O. Day of is an absolute blank move. Good riddance. It just, it boggles the mind. It, it, it really, really does. I'm not going to read any of the other ones. Some of them aren't worth talking about. Let's get to the interview with Maureen Walker and hear from him why he decided to make the move. Um, and then we're going to talk to Punch Tula coach Hank Tierney, who talks about Amorian and really his whole senior class. Jacoby Matthews is going to wait till uh, the traditional signing day in February. He's got a big decision to make. Uh, he's going to, he's probably going to be a safety at, at, in college. And he kind of played a Roman Harper type role, but another big name recruit. There are several guys that are going to be playing on Saturdays where whether you see him on TV next year or in a couple years, because there's a couple that are probably going to have to go to JC first. Um, but there's a ton of these kids, this senior class, one of the best senior classes I've seen as far as talent-wise for college prospects on the North Shore since I've been up here the past eight years now. Um, it rivals like what you'd see at a car almost every year. Or a war in Easton. Um, that's where they are. That's where they were this year. But this is a class that started together for since they were sophomores. Uh, I think Hank says there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 of the kids that were on the field on Saturday night in the Dome were seniors that had started since they were at least sophomores. Some of them as freshmen. But let's hear from Memorian Walker, wide receiver, Ponchatoula High, who is graduating from high school, I believe, this week. I believe he graduates this week, and he'll be at Michigan in a, in a few weeks. Um, hear what he has to say. Talk about, I know this was a tough decision for you. Um, what went through your mind? What, what went through your mind the last couple of days? Uh, First of all, you had a game to play the other day, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure that was on your mind. Mm -hmm. Well, leading up to the game, I didn't, I didn't really want to think about any recruiting. In. I just wanted to focus on winning the state championship. You know, obviously we fell short for that, but, you know, we played a hard game, and the guys gave it all we got, but leading up to that, I was thinking about the state championship game. After that, I really uh, tried to sit down, and I prayed about it a long time, and just wanted to make the right decision for me and my family, and it just it swinged the way it swung. When did you make your final decision? i say uh, maybe at the end of last night is when I truly made my final decision. It was really down to the wire this whole time, and uh, it's just been real close. You know, put back and forth, but... Uh, I say last night is the, the ultimate factor is when I had. What uh, what was the leading what was the leading change for you to, to make the decision to switch? The leading change is probably was uh, part of Notre Dame coaching staff has been shaking up and uh, me uh, knowing the coaches well at Michigan, but 
That's probably what's all it is. A lot of people don't know this, but you're you're going to be an early grad. Or you're going to be going to college right away. Are you going to go to, to Michigan uh, as soon as you graduate here? Yes, sir. I'm going to uh, as soon as I, I graduate in uh, in this next week when we finish up the semester, then I'll be in uh, in college by January 3rd. What was it about Michigan in the end that um, made it look made it so it was the right place for you? Just the stable, uh, the stable building that I've been having, like ever since. Like I said, I was with uh, Notre Dame ever since the coaching staff got shake, shooken up, and uh, it just really threw everything for a loop and threw me back at square one. And I feel like the best place and the best place I believe in was Michigan. Had Brian Kelly not left Notre Dame, do you think you still would have gone there? Yes. Um, now talk about you and just your excitement level and I know this is all crazy and all you know players look forward to this kind of thing what's it like for you personally to to be able to know that you've got a place to go and be able to play and be on the big stage and all that stuff I mean whether you go to Notre Dame or Michigan you're still going to be on the big stage obviously but just talk about for you personally what it feels like Personally, it feels uh, it feels great, you know, that I'd be able to put myself on the biggest stage and that I worked hard enough to uh, get to this point where I'm at. But I'm not nearly done with what I want to accomplish. Like I know I'm gonna catch some heat from the ND fans and uh, some things like that. But I just want to tell them that you know I don't have any hate towards Notre Dame. I never will. Notre Dame's a great place. I will always love it. You know, even if I do catch some heat from them. But you know, from now on, I'm just gonna continue to pursue my goals. And I got this goal in life that I want to achieve. And I feel like this was the best route to take, so I just hope everybody can respect that. Are you glad this this whole thing's finally over? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's over. It's been a lot of stress and, and continued stress for, you know, maybe about a year straight. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Now, I want to talk about your time here at Ponchatoula. And, um, you know, obviously it didn't end the way you wanted it to end. But still, in a way, it was a storybook season, wasn't it? Yeah, very storybook. Uh, I've been knowing these guys for so long, you know, you know, most of the guys from junior high and even guys from, you know, younger than that. So it was a family that we had on this team this year. And, you know, we worked real hard. And, you know, we put the days in and days out. And I feel like we was committed to everything. You know, I can't really say anything wrong or anything that we left out, you know, coming towards the state championship game. It just ended up turning out a different way. So I don't blame no guys on that team or, you know, anything about that. But. The state championship game itself, what was that day like for you, just the whole day, not just the game, but leading up to everything, and uh, what, what were your emotions? Uh, it was it was passion. You know, we all had passion that day. You know, the town was behind us, you know, and people even outside our town, you know, everybody in the district was behind us, and like, you know, and they have some uh, other guys in other part of the state that was behind us, and it just, it just felt good to, be, to have those, you know, support on your back, and, you know, trying to get it done, you know, for the people. Your final high school game in the dome, could you imagine it ending it end in any better place than that? Nah, that's that's about the best place you can end it in, the Superdome. That was my first time actually playing it. I think I went to one game once, but you know, every time you go in that dome it's it's special. About the game itself, you had you had a few catches in the first half and um, what was different for you guys in the second half? Which what changed you think? Uh, nothing really changed. I would say we came out trying to play the same game, and they had did a little bit of adjusting. So, you know, we was a little later to the adjusting thing. That's they came out of half differently. So we had to find different plays to run, and that's really the only thing that really shook us up coming out of the half. What uh, Coach Hank, obviously a legend here at Ponchatoula, and has been around this area since long before you were born. Um, what was it like to play for him throughout your career here? 
amazing. Uh, I thank Coach Hank for everything. It was amazing four years being with him and being able to be coached by him. He's not only brought me to be a great football player, but uh, also built built me into a great young man that I am today. So you know, he taught me stuff about life and you know just other things you know regard, other than regarding football. So that's good. Lastly, what was that final speech from him like um, when you guys were sitting there and he was talking to you? What what did he say to you guys, and what were your emotions then? Uh, it was hurt. It was hurtful. He uh, he basically explained uh, how we're gonna go out here. Like this was just another challenge for us, and how this is gonna help us, you know, overcome things later in life. You know, and it don't have to be football. It can just be, you know, getting another job or, you know, just this big interview you about to go to or something. But he just let us know that this won't be the last loss we take. You know, but every loss you take is gonna you know, build up to, to get you that big win that you need. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt and, you know, you, f- you feel proud about what you've done and just keep going. It's all about growing into a man, isn't it? That's all it is. Morian, I, I want to tell you thank you, and um, it's been a pleasure to watch you grow through the years, and you have turned into a, into a wonderful man, and we wish you the best of luck at Michigan. Thanks a lot. So there it is. Going to Michigan. And you really should just, can you just be happy for the kid? Even if you don't know him. Whether you're a Michigan fan, a Notre Dame fan, or you don't care one way or the other about either school, we should just respect these kids' decisions. They don't make them willy-nilly, I promise you. He didn't wake up in the morning yesterday and say, you know what, I'm going to screw Notre Dame, and I'm going to go to Michigan. That'll piss him off. Nobody does that. You know, word this morning, Aaron Anderson, who, wide receiver at Carr, who is one of the best talents I've seen. Look, Carr's had some great talent since I've been back covering prep since 2013. I guess I'm not covering him anymore, so, but I still do kind of offhand and obviously still broadcast prep games. But Aaron Anderson is one of those game-changing type athletes. It's kind of like Speedy Noel from back that went to Texas A&M. Except I think Aaron has a no disrespect to Speedy. But I think Aaron Anderson has a brighter future in college and I think potentially in the NFL than Speedy had. He is possibly the best returner that I've seen in high school. And I've seen quite a few really good ones. But he is going to go to Alabama. He's flipped from LSU, but we kind of knew that already. And the coaching change and all that stuff. And, I mean, the relationship he had with Coach O and that kind of change in Alabama swooped in. I think that uh, Frank Wilson, the new, well, the new old recruiting coordinator at LSU, uh, was trying to get that flip back, but he couldn't do it. But he did get land in Ivietta. We're going to get into – What's going on with some of the updates in the early recruiting period before we go off the air? But I'm going to get to Hank Tierney in just a minute. Um, You know, Coach Hank uh, is 70 years old. He has coached as a head coach now, I believe, for – I believe this was 30 – is he either 36 or 38th? I know it was an even number. I can't remember. But I know this. He's going to – likely finish up his career with exactly 300 victories. Had he not won that semifinals game against Acadiana, who knows if 
he would have come back uh, next year or not. He says that didn't factor into the decision, that he's still not officially made. But um, he's got nothing left to prove. He won number 300. Not that you have to prove anything by going from 299 to 300 because it's really just a number. But he has nothing left to prove. And now he's taking Ponchatoula to the state championship game, the first time they had been in a championship game, period, in 70 years. So in other words, since the year he was born. That's incredible. And um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, coaches sometimes change their minds. So if I had to put a number on it, I'd say 80% that he actually retires, announces he retires. Maybe a little more than 80%. But you know, he said he's not going to make an official decision until January. Which means he's got a couple weeks to think about it. And I know this. Coaches are creatures of habit, maybe more than any other profession. Coaches and teachers. Because their biological clocks run by whatever coaches, they run whatever season they're in. And it takes them a long time, especially when you go all the way to the state championship game. You think about you start way back in July. You get in your regimen and your routine. And Coach Hank talked about, and this goes for all coaches, almost all of them are morning creatures. Some of them get up at 3.34 in the morning. They go to bed at 8 at night. If you text a coach after 8 o'clock at night, more times than not, you won't get a reply until the next morning before you wake up. Malter Scoble over at Slidell, I've known a long time, you know, I'd text him something sometimes at 7. And my phone would ding at 3 in the morning. That's when he got up. That's how coaches are. So I guess what I'm saying long-windedly is coaches, I don't care if you're 40 years old or you're 70 years old. You've been doing something for a long time, and your biological clock says, it's July, and now you're supposed to go to bed early and wake up at 3 in the morning. And Coach said that he gets up at 3.34 in the morning and starts watching film before he goes to school. How do you change that? Even in the offseason, you, you're preparing yourself for the next season. So will he feel differently in a couple weeks? Maybe. You know, some coaches just, I mean, look at J.T. Curtis. When is he going to retire? I don't know. And I remember the late, great Peter Finney, who was at the Times Picayune as a sports columnist. And if you don't know who Peter Finney is, you must either be 24 years old or younger, or you didn't grow up in New Orleans. He was, to me, the icon of sports in this city for longer than a half a century. And when I first started working at the Times Picayune, he was an idol. And I remember sitting up there and, wow, Peter Finney's here. I work at the same place that he works. And I always wanted to be him. And I never will be, but 
the point is he didn't retire until he was well into his 80s after I believe his wife passed away um and I remember that not long you know he was one of these guys that looked super young for his age until maybe he got until right before he retired you know he when he was 70 years old you looked at him like gosh this I know he's all gray but other than that the guy looked like he was in his 50s and he still worked like he was in his 50s and when he retired I don't remember exactly how long it was from the time he retired till he passed away it wasn't long. I mean, now he was in his 80s, and I think his health was starting to decline too. But, you know, his, his wife passed, and I think um, like a lot of people who are married for get to their golden anniversary and then go beyond, and they lose their, their soulmate, and it's not long after that they pass. So life changed for Peter um, not long after that. So it makes you wonder, what do coaches do? And I think when you talk about JT, maybe he coaches until he just can't stand on a sideline for three hours any longer. And if you look at that dude, 70, I think he's 74, 75 years old, you wouldn't have any clue unless you just knew because he's been coaching since 1969. And Hank Tierney, 70 years old, been coaching as a head coach, he got his first victory on September the 3rd, 1983. I was a junior in high school. I've been in this business for 31 years now. So you can figure out how long that is. So, does Hank change his mind? I tell you what, let's listen to the interview and we'll come back. It's only six and a half minutes long. We talk about... Again, we start off with the Morion Walker and um, this entire senior class. And then we kind of get into a little bit about what his feelings were going into Saturday and the week leading up to it throughout the game, what happened in the game uh, briefly. And it just his overall feelings, and maybe we'll get a sense of whether he really means it or not. Coach Hank Tierney here on the Datitude Podcast. Uh, Coach, uh, first I want to talk about Morion Walker, and today was about him. Um, and him being able to sign changed his mind at the last minute. But f- for your purposes, you're just happy that he's he's graduating early. He's going to go up to Michigan and gets a chance to play on a big stage. Yeah, and I'm most proud of the fact that he's been a full point of students since the day he walked in here. And his choices came down to not only two great football schools in Notre Dame and Michigan, but two great academic schools. And two weeks from today, or three weeks from today, he'll be attending class in Michigan. So I'm really proud of him. Talk about this uh, this senior class, and we've talked about it for years. Uh, I mean, you, you've watched these kids grow up as you've watched several classes grow up, but this one I know was kind of special and dear to your heart because a lot of these kids, some of them played as freshmen, but uh, most of them started as sophomores. Yeah, I think all total 16 or 17 started the other night against uh, against Zachary in the state championship game. It reminded me of the 97 Shaw class, you know, with Terrell Harris and Derek Joseph and Tori James and that bunch. A bunch of kids who stayed together, which doesn't always happen in public school. They came in five to two as freshmen. They stayed together. They grew together. You know, they suffered adversity together and then overcame the adversity and, and uh, went on to become probably the best team in the history of Pontchartou High School. Can you talk about the week leading up to the game? And I know that um, 
for you, it was, you know, the, the finish was, was, was bittersweet. But just talk about the whole week leading up to it and, and, and your emotions. Uh, you know, it was more, really more about the kids in the town. You know, I had won a state championship in Shaw, had played for it for three times, so it wasn't old hat, it would never be old hat. But I had done that before, but these kids were just so odd. You know, when they walked in the dome, they had their phones out, and just to lead up, you know, we practiced in the dome, you know, we fed them in Paul's, you know, we took charter buses. To, I mean, it was just an experience for them that I know they'll never forget. And to their credit, once the game started, though, it was it was business at hand. And it didn't end the way we wanted to, right? But the experience, the number of people at the game from Pontchartula, the send-off, I mean, the whole deal, even the, the post-game talk, you know, saying that sometimes in life, the same kind of things happen. You know, don't end like you want it to end, and you got to learn how to move on. The whole experience, I think, is a lifetime experience for them young kids. The game itself, um, it was kind of the role reversal from the semifinals game where you guys were in a hole in the first half, and you went in, made ha- halftime adjustments, and everything turned around, and you guys were dominant in the second half. <laughs> kind of, Coach Brewerton made some kind of adjustments because you guys weren't able to do the same things in the second half. What, what changed this time? You know, uh, early in the game, we had a chance, we thought, to be way ahead. You know, um, we were ahead by six points, but we could have easily been three touchdowns ahead. We had some opportunities that we had open that we didn't take advantage of some plays. And obviously a great team, you got to take advantage of every opportunity. At halftime, we were very worried because we could not run the ball, you know, and even against St. Paul's and against Covington in the first half. When we could not run the ball, we were ineffective on offense because our Braden's running set up everything. Now, defense was carrying us. They were playing great. And uh, we had points we left on the field in the first half. And then the second half, those opportunities didn't present themselves. And we never really got into an offensive rhythm. Now, we did take 13 snaps inside Zachary's 25-yard line in the second half and came away with zero points. You know, so if I had to pinpoint one thing, it would be to give Zachary's defensive line a lot of credit and the way that defense played. That secondary was by far the best we'd seen all year. And you, like you said, you get in the red zone, you get two big turnovers, uh, you get a chance, and you, you can't convert. Was Jake Labbert at the kicker? Was was he injured on on that play? No, he we, he was he could have kicked. That was totally my decision. We had been playing such great defense that what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do was uh, was even if we didn't score, pin them back. You know the way we were playing defense, we were going to hold them three and out, and then get the ball back inside their territory again and just take another run at it. That's how good a defense we were playing. And I just also didn't think three points was going to be right. <laughs> enough to hold up. You know, but no, he wasn't injured. That was just my decision, uh, putting put the onus on our defense and, 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 and trying to get in a position to win the game. Talk about after the game, and as we stand here, you haven't made a decision yet on whether you're going to uh, whether you're going to keep coaching or not. Uh, you've been doing this for th- 38 years as a head coach. Um, you got 300 wins. I mean, logically, it seems like you have nothing else to prove. But just talk about what was that that post game talk to your kids like? I really didn't talk about me. Uh, I talk, I thank them for the effort for four years, not just three years. And I, I basically told them how proud I was of them and that don't hang their heads. You know, life moves on and 
be a great father, be a great husband, you know, get a great job, you know, be a great person. That's what, you know, we're going to come from here. That's what's going to come from this. You know, you learn how to deal with adversity now. Go ahead and out life. And uh, as far as myself, Coach, I'm going to kick back over the Christmas holidays. I'm definitely leaning towards shutting it down. You know, uh, not so much because I have nothing else to prove, just because I've been doing this for so long. <laughs> I'm 70 years old, and I'm like really just looking to kick back a little bit. You know, but I haven't made that decision final yet. Obviously, I've spent a lot of time with my wife over the holidays, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, but I'm definitely leaning in that direction. Can I ask a personal question, and as you go home, what was the ride home with Mr. Joanne like? And just talk about what y'all talked about. Uh, really, what, what, what you can tell really, me. Really, you know, we, we just talked about the kids. You know, she's like me. She's like a mother to the kids. And she's, we just talked about what a great thing it would have been for the city of Pontchartula for these kids to win a state championship. And we kind of just talked about them in terms of what a great disappointment it was for them and how sometimes things don't work out. But, you know just how it is and and you know i've had to move on before and these kids will have to move on and they will and they will but that's what we talked about did it was it an emotional thing for for you and um was this one of the more emotional moments of you of your career uh it was it definitely was uh we uh I wanted to go out with a state championship for the city of Pontchartula and for these kids. And it was very emotional when it didn't happen. And I shared my emotions with the players in the post-game speech. And it was an emotional locker room. Lastly, um, just reflect back, did you think about that whole, the whole week leading up to it? Were you thinking about some of those old teams? You, you coached the Shaw coach teams, the West Jeff teams. You had some great teams there. Absolutely. Everything, all of that crossed my mind, even right when the game was ending, after the game. And then, of course, I haven't seen all those guys the week before at the Acadiana game. It made it even fresher in my mind. But I thought about how blessed I've been to have coached all those kinds, all those players and, and the successes that we had at three different schools. And, and I just reflected on you know, what a great coaching life I've had and how blessed I've been. It was great to see all those guys. Again, oh man, we had a great time with. I don't know if we were ever going to go home. I'm glad we wasn't on the West Bank. We might still be out. <laughs> Coach Hank Tierney, thank you. Okay. All right, my pleasure. There you have it. Quote: Definitely leaning towards shutting it down. I mean that that says pretty much what you need to know. Um, going through some of these LSU signees, look, they're already having a great day. I mean, Brian Kelly is making uh, a difference. And nothing against Coach O, because Coach O himself was an outstanding recruiter. That was never Coach O's problem. He got kids to come. You know, so the last couple years, maybe not uh, quite up to what some fans would like. And there were certain positions. I mean, it have been well documented. Maybe not enough offensive linemen. Um, maybe not enough running backs. We'll see what happens in, in certain positions. But uh, I, th- I think LSU's future is certainly bright. And you look at the list of some of the some of the uh, players that have signed already. I'm going through this list. Um, we talked about Landon Ibiato, wide receiver. Uh, let's see, Quincy Wiggins, defensive lineman. From Madison Prep, he is signed. Uh, DJ Westlack, uh, actually, he, he's going to sign later this afternoon. Uh, so that is not a, that is not official yet. Let's see. Uh, 
Demario Tolan, a four-star linebacker from Florida. He is signed with LSU. Um, Walker Howard, we already knew about him. The quarterback from St. Thomas More. He is he's going to be the real deal, boys and girls. I tell you, Jamie Howard's son, uh, former LSU quarterback, he's going to make a difference. So make sure you check with the advocate and uh, and see. We've got a live blog going on right now as it goes along. And you want, you'll want to keep in touch with that. Um, that is being uh, put together by our staff, uh, both prep people uh, along with the recruiter, recruiting staff and our LSU staff uh, will all be uh, up putting updates into there. Um, and you'll want to check that out as the day goes along. Uh, will Campbell, a five-star offensive lineman. That was key. We talked about offensive line. They, LSU has to get offensive linemen. Um, so Will Campbell from, from Neville is signed, as is Bo Bordelon from Newman. His dad, Ben, played at LSU. And then Transparency also signs my checks at Varsity Sports Now as a uh, part owner of that company um, that I've been just privileged and honored to work for for the last three years. Um, we talk and look, you know, Nathan uh, Dybert, a two-star kicker from Michigan, uh, has signed. Fitzgerald West, a three-star defensive lineman from Lafayette. Uh, we talked about Taji Hill from Carr, defensive lineman, three-star. Demario Tolan is a four-star linebacker. So things going well for LSU today. You got to like where they are. Um, and again, remember that the the official signing period, uh, the the traditional one, the one that is kind of the end all, is not until February. So we'll find out more then. Before I go off the air today, I do want to talk about the Saints a little bit. Uh, released in my NFL picks this morning, Saints Bucks. Um, and what I think, and we're going to talk more about this on Friday. Friday, when I have Zach Ewing on, uh, my my friend and uh, manager here at the Advocate at BetDinola.com. We're going to talk about. Saints Bucks, but we're also going to talk about uh, the early college bowl window. We're going to have a college bowl pick them uh, on the Advocate, I believe. We're going to release that uh, either today or tomorrow. And then uh, I think on Friday morning, I am putting together a uh, bowl pick them. We're going to have a little contest among among the the writers here at bet.nola.com. And uh, we're all going to pick against one another. I hope it goes better than my big bucks picks have been going. So we're going to have we're going to put an interesting twist on it, too. We're going to pick every bowl game, but we're going to have like a fake $1,000 and put a little fake money on whatever our best pick of each game is. And so the bowl games begin, I believe they begin on Friday night, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's when the Bahamas Bowl is. Starts out with, with that one. I think it's Middle Tennessee and Toledo. Uh, that comes up on Friday night and then really gets kicked into high gear on Saturday. So that's when we get going. Uh, but we will have a big old thing coming out on Friday. And again, a pick them uh, for you to join in at uh, bet.nola.com. So look out for that. But Saints Bucks, uh, again, my NFL picks column today. Look, I just don't think this is a good matchup for the Saints. Um, I am 10 and let's see, the Saints 6 and 7. I'm 10 and 3. Uh, against the spread when it comes to the Saints this year. 
So that's not meant to brag because I haven't been that great everywhere else. I think I'm uh, I'm at 520 is my winning percentage against the spread. So I'm not much more than seven games over 500 overall picking every game. So in other words, I've gotten the Saints right and everybody else I'm mediocre. So I'm not bragging. I'm just saying what I see is been pretty spot on for the Saints, and I just don't see this as a good spot. I know they beat them three regular season games in a row, but this one's different, and I'm going to tell you why. First off, the the first the the two they played last year were with Drew Brees and a very healthy uh, defense that schemed obviously very well against Tom Brady. The first matchup. This year, one could arguably say that that was the last time the Saints were truly healthy. Going into the game, Jameis Winston was still the quarterback. The defense was healthy. Um, they did not have Anyamata back yet, I don't believe, or did they? Anyway, they they were as healthy as they've been all year. And they had another great game plan for Brady. They forced him into turning the football over. Leonard Fournette wasn't quite playing like Leonard Fournette is playing now. And this was is a whole other animal for several reasons, but not just because even though the Saints are getting healthier, Taysom Hill is a, is, is a, is a major drop-off from Winston when you're talking about having to throw the football. And don't kid yourselves, selves. The Saints are going to have to throw the football to even have a chance to win this game. You cannot run consistently against this defense. You just can't. And so they're going to be double teaming Alvin Kamara and watching in the middle for Taysom to run. And he will a little bit, and they'll be able to run a little bit, but you're not going to, you're not going to have a 100-yard rusher in this game. You can go ahead and write me, write it down. If I'm wrong, go ahead and tweet at me. Email me at jderryattheadvocate.com or tweet at me at Jim Derry Jr. And go ahead, blast me if I'm wrong. But the Saints are not going to have a 100-yard rusher in this game. They might not have 100 rushing yards, period, because the Bucks don't allow 100 yards in a game all that often. It's going to be warm. It's going to be humid like it is here. There's not going to be air conditioning of a dome. And the Saints are going to be working hard to stop a very motivated Hall of Fame quarterback who, trust me, knows the record. He's 4-4 four and four against the Saints in his career. I can tell you this. I looked it up. He only has a losing record in his career to one team, 32 teams, he's only got a losing record against one of them. And it's the Seattle Seahawks, and he's only played them three times. And one of those, I mean, you know. So you're talking about three games is is the only team he has a losing record against. He's one and two against them. So the Saints have a chance to have a winning record against Tom Brady and be the only team in the NFL, with more than three games he's played against and have a winning record against him. But, but it's not going to... He knows all this. He is going to be super motivated. Beyond that, the Bucks can clinch the division title 
which the Saints have owned for the past four years. The Bucs can officially end that with a win this week. They're going to be super motivated. They obviously play much better at home. They're 6-0 and at home. They've covered the spread the last five of those. It's just not a good spot for the Saints. And that's okay. And I'm not saying that kills the Saints' chances because I think if the Saints, if they lose this game and then win their final three, which I'm not sure they can do that either. I'll have to go into the handicap and look at it a little bit more. Because Miami's tough. Carolina, not as tough anymore. I like their chances against Carolina for sure. Especially in the Dome. And then they finish the season at Atlanta. Maybe maybe their playoff chances will come down to being 8-8 eight and eight and playing at Atlanta. I don't know. Atlanta's got to go to San Francisco this week. Who do you root for in that one if you're a Saints fan? I guess you root for Atlanta as much as you hate to. Because really you're trying to... You don't mind getting into an even spot with the Falcons. And you want San Francisco to lose because they're a game ahead of you in the, in the wild card standings. So, interesting. It's going to be a very interesting weekend of football. Let's put it that way. Minnesota plays the Bears. You want them to lose. Uh, who else? You got Philadelphia and Washington. And they play twice more. So, you want them to split. So, whoever wins this game... You want the other team to win the next time they play. Washington and, and Philadelphia both at 6-7. and seven. Saints beat Washington, lost to Philadelphia, obviously. So I guess in a way, you'd rather Washington win this one and see what happens next. But both of those teams, I believe, finished the season. I think, I think they both have four straight games against NFC East opponents. I know Washington's got to play Dallas again. And I, I'm... In fact, I'm almost positive Philadelphia plays Washington twice, has to play the Giants another time, and plays Dallas again. So let them beat up on each other. So the Saints are not out of this, even if they lose, which they're likely going to lose. So we'll worry about the next three later. But I just this, this is, just doesn't work out well for the Saints. Again, we'll talk about more about that on Friday with Zach Ewing. Um, and, of course, we'll have Conductor Dave on to make our picks. So somebody was 5-1 and one last week. Somebody else is three and three. Somebody's starting to pull away. Always having fun with those picks. And then Uncle Big Nick, I had a good week in there too. I, I was good everywhere last week. If you've, and, and I know it would have been hard to follow my picks after I wasn't good for two weeks in a row. I was mediocre, um, very mediocre. And uh, but we changed the way we do our five star picks now. We're just picking them. Taking our best five picks. We're not doing anything silly like having to do you had before you had to do an underdog, before you had to do a favorite, before you had to do a parlay and, and all kinds of goofy stuff. Now we're just taking our five best picks. I went four and one. So maybe it's better like that. And I think Nick went two and three or something like that. So but he's got some bowl game. He's much better at the college game and he's got some college stuff picking this weekend. So we'll have all that. We're gonna have fun on Friday. We'll talk more about the college bowl pick 'em. Again, more about the Saints and uh, all of our NFL picks and college bowl picks for the weekend coming up on Friday. Make sure you join us then. I want to thank Amorion Walker, Hank Tierney, and everyone at Ponchatoula High School for opening their doors. Make sure you keep following the advocate all day long in the Times Picayune as we will have analysis on LSU's early signing day um, along with all the other things going on around the country uh, and uh, the local 
prospects and the local recruits and who they sign with. So follow all that, and uh, we'll be back and talk to you on Friday. Hope you have a great week, what's left of it, and we'll see you as we kick off the weekend on Friday. Peace and love, my friends. Of the tube.